Frank's Red Hot is the perfect blend of flavor and heat. So you can use an entire bottle to make recipes like buffalo chicken dip or buffalo nachos. Or even things that don't start with buffalo. Frank's Red Hot. I put that on everything. What's up, Craig? It was number 18. Big minutes from Miller and Rap. It was 18. <laughs> uh, Noah Williams with the trap. Oh, 18. CJ and Bonton put him away. Okay, that's a, that's my Alice Cooper impression. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I uh, love it. Dude, are you still floating like I am? Yeah, it's great, dude. It, it, and what I was referencing, only the 18th time WCU has ever beaten UCLA in basketball. So That's not very many. Even if UCLA is not the UCLA of old, uh, it's always a big win. Yeah, don't care. And especially in in such a fashion uh, was fantastic. Um, Before we get too deep into that, I'm Craig Powers. With me is Jeff Neusser. Hello. This is is Podcast Versus Everyone. Hell yeah, it is. Welcome. Uh, Victory Podcast Versus Everyone. Yeah, Basketball Victory Edition. Basketball Victory Happy Beer Edition. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. Like, okay. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the, I don't know. Am I, am I totally cutting you off right now? I'm just like so excited. Go for it, man. Okay. So one of the things you mentioned to me when we were chatting, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, um, but was just this idea that like, you know, for the last you know five years, there have been moments where the team has, you know, sort of jumped up and done a thing and, in the back of your mind, like you're, like you're happy because, you know, we're Cougs, we're, you know, like our team wins, that, that makes us happy, right? But in the back of your mind, you always knew that it was completely unsustainable and eventually was going to turn back into shit, right? Like this is like the John Wooden classic thing. This is like last year's road trip to Arizona where they came up with those two like just inexplicable wins, right? Like you just, you were like, yeah, this is exciting and that was fun, but but you know that it's going to go back to what it was. Like you know right. the foundation's bad. And this just like, you know, they didn't even win both the games, right? I mean, they, they lost by, what, nine, right, to USC, damn near double digits to USC. Yeah. Um, and then they need overtime to beat UCLA. And UCLA is certainly, as we talked about last week, you know, no great team. But, you know, just the way it happened, the way it went down, like you just like you cannot help but get excited because you're looking at this going, okay, the defense that is powering the team right now, totally sustainable. Right. Like that's and when they get better players, theoretically, the defense will get better. Right. Right. Like like you're looking like this sustainable and and you're just like, okay, they just need a modicum of offense. And and that's a thing that you can improve by adding talent to some degree. You're talking about you you had Tony Miller playing. Yeah. uh, Let's see. uh, Fifty six minutes over the two games or the weekend, a six, six two ten power forward. And the way they and they held both UCLA and um, USC well under a point per possession, and and both who have front lines that are six ten, six nine, big dudes, you know, two fifty type dudes, and it, and against USC, uh, Pollard was out for most of the game, and Miller had to step in, and then he just they couldn't, he didn't, he just they just couldn't get him off the floor in the second half because um, he was playing so well against UCLA. So, like, you're you're looking at – when you're talking about when we have better players, yeah, like, right now we're rolling – and, and nothing against Miller. He's playing really well. But, like, he's 6'6", six, six power forward, 6'6", six, six, 210, not a big guy. And we're still 
like Ding up against these uh, team teams with athletic big big like athletic six ten bigs, and it's 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 really cool to see. Also, yep. the uh, just to just to watch the way Smith coaches a game, and we can get into UCLA. I thought we should probably get into UCLA first because it's more fun. But and it's more recent and more recent. But man, that we are the and so is coach smith the biggest haters of zone like just and smith is no fan of zone and we know it but man switching to zone against ucla completely changed that game they were getting torn apart by chris smith and to a lesser extent prince ali just in one-on-one um and because they basically chris smith at a six nine wing yeah and basically an like a future nba guy is I mean from what he's played the last couple of games like he definitely is looking like he's he's headed that way but but yeah just and and yeah him in foul trouble helped too but they just to, UCLA had no idea what to do and and it wasn't it was different from the zones we would see when when Ernie would switch to some junk zone because uh, there was effort like the top the the three at the top of the zone were trapping they were pressing the ball. They weren't giving up open looks, um, and and the two in the back were just busting their ass, um, and they were busting their ass to get rebounds too, because obviously um, rebounding in the zone is difficult. But they were um, guys like Noah Williams were just jumping up, just doing whatever they could to get their hand on a, a tip or whatever, just to knock it over to their teammate. Um, and it was it was crazy just to see uh, a defense that we've we've. Uh, you and I obviously not on this podcast as much, but well, last uh, spring we did just much maligned type of defense. Um, and just to see it be, especially when you throw it in as kind of a one-off just to work so well because of, and I think it's because of the, um, the way that Smith has instilled defensive effort in these guys, because if zone does not work, if you're not working your ass off, like you're playing a man defense, like it yep. doesn't, it doesn't work. And, and they were busting their ass. Like, yes, they, they were. were, they were trapping the ball. They were like, it, you would think that the way they were running that zone, it looked like the, the team that ran that zone all the time. And, and it's just cause their effort was there and they were creating, uh, turnovers. They were creating tough shots. They were putting UCLA. Really, all UCLA could do was hope that their um, bigs could hit a fadeaway twelve footer, um, and they did a couple times. But uh, they missed those quite a few of those, and 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 otherwise they were forced into uh, you know uh, shot clock violations. They were forced into deep deep threes or deep twos that they didn't really that were contested. Yep. Like it was it was it was crazy just how well it worked. Um, and it was a stroke of genius to to just to move to that because he could they could have stuck with the man and they probably would have lost like they probably would have fouled out a bunch of guys because you know you had caj Ellaby was in foul trouble for much of the game um your your other bigs were kind of getting him like they were starting to get pressed you know uh smith in particular was really starting to press them and the, the zone kind of took him out of the game to a point when he was in like yeah he had that 12 footer but that was all they had and and yeah it was just crazy to watch like uh a, a team that plays man all the time just transition to a zone so smoothly and with so much effort it was so cool well we saw so much zone 
the last couple of years with Ernie. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a horrible zone, <laughs> like a, a really, really, really horrible zone. Um, one of the things that, that I was kind of marveling at and looking at our, our stats as a team um, is we are actually one of the teams in the country with the, I'm trying to think of how does, how to say this, right. Um, our opponents have one of the fewest percentages of their baskets made via assist. Did that make sense? I don't know if it did or not, but, um, the idea is that, yeah, like not very many of the makes against us come via an assist and we're like eighth least in the country. Uh, that's a huge contrast the last couple of years where we were like in the top half of the country in both of those. And, um, it's not necessarily a stat that's, that's good or bad, right? Like it's, it's not necessarily good to have the other team with a few, with few assists and not necessarily bad either way. But I think given what we saw the last couple of years, like, so we're running that zone, typically a high, um, opponent assist rate is indicative of a zone, right? Cause you need to pass to beat a right. zone. Well, the, uh, the, the, our zone was really easy to beat with a couple of passes, right? So it made sense that, you know, we're running primarily zone and team makes a couple of passes, you know, reverses the ball, dumps it in whatever and, and wide open shot. Right. Um, you know, so this year, what you're seeing is you're seeing a team that mostly is playing, you know, hard nosed man to man defense, um, and is forcing teams, uh, you know, when a team tries to, you know, say reverse the ball or get the ball, um, you know, when somebody helps the helper and, you know, potentially there could be, you know, a ball reversal to get an open look or something like that. Um, our guys are scrambling back, they're disciplined and, and they're getting back in position. Right. So, so where you normally would have a shot coming off an assist, you know, that, that shot's not wide open anymore. Right. So, um, you actually saw that a little bit in the zone we were running. You mentioned how they were working their ass off. Well, they were running, you know, what ostensibly was a, a three, two zone, right. Or two, three zone. But it, you know, it was, there was basically three guys up top. Um, you know, the guy in the middle, whichever side the ball went to, um, he was kind of sinking down to the free throw line to prevent the ball from being entered into that, that kind of soft spot right in the middle of the zone in the key and Rakasner, Elger Rakasner, everybody's favorite PAC 12 network analyst. And I don't know, maybe we could talk about how fucking terrible that guy was for two games, but he kept he talking about, should. yeah, God, he kept talking about the soft spot in the zone. And it's like, they, they hit that spot like one time, right? It was like, yeah. I think on the second possession we ran zone. And then after that, we just like the guy at the top was just hustling his ass off, jumping out, jumping back, jumping out, jumping back. And they, you know, they were working really, really hard. And that's what prevented UCLA from getting the easy looks. And what's crazy about it is, and I, I know I'm kind of rambling, but like, you know, UCLA did really well against UW zone. Like they, they had a guy, Kaiman, right. Who made seven threes and, and they were just kind of bombs away. I, what was crazy was we both ran a zone and we prevented them from shooting threes, which is sort of one of our, you know, MOs of our defense. It just like, it, it just, it was awesome, man. It was so awesome. and so fun to watch. Yeah. And it's, and then of course, uh, at, at come down to the, you know the most important possession of the game, the the UCLA's oh, yeah. final possession. Oh. Um, they come out in man to man, and you're thinking, okay, this is interesting. And C- Chris Smith has the ball up top with, uh, I believe, with Miller on him, and you're like, this is not a good matchup for us, Smith. Yeah, there's just, about 15 seconds, and he's yeah. kind of dribbling and waiting and waiting. He's three inches taller, but 
he gets to about four seconds and he's just about to make I think he took way too long to make his move, but yeah, I think so. But but obviously but then Noah Smith just pops Blitzed off his him. guy and yeah, totally totally surprised him. Had no idea he he loses the ball. I don't even know if Noah touched the ball. Like he just loses the ball and USC your UCLA doesn't even get a shot off with a chance to win the game. And uh that was just so cool to see like and Noah Noah's defensive intensity is sometimes over the top. Yeah. And but like it's just so crazy how to see a freshman work so hard on defense. Like he's just all over the place. Um and, you know, sometimes he you know, he he's he's gonna have to learn that uh the refs aren't buying the flops a little bit, but other than that, man, he made some huge plays on defense and uh and offense this game. Um, him and and I wanted and I alluded to him in the song up top, but him and rap, like it was so cool to just to see freshmen play uh, a big role in this win. Um, that truly wouldn't have happened without uh, the two of them, both them and Bonton, sparked that the run when WSU was down eleven in this game with thirteen minutes to play, and then Ryan Rap comes on the floor. Like who knew? Who who knew? Man, like yeah. Freshman from Australia. It seemed like, okay, this is a guy who, you know, might be a candidate for a red shirt. Um, and then, you know, he played a little bit earlier this year. But you were like, okay, you know, he's super raw and undeveloped. Well, and then he comes in and, and what did he do? He canned a three, right? And then No, like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't make a three. No, he, he had a, he had a dribble off the three point line. That's what it was, yeah. right? So they found him in the corner and he did a little pump fake and then had a little dribble and a little finger roll. Uh, in the he just yeah he was really good and and I think what made that zone so effective was you had you know you had Bonton up there but then you had he was flanked by Williams and Rap and both those guys are six five and so where the last you know however many years against Ernie you know we're running that shitty zone and and part of the problem is you know we're running midgets out there right we're running six foot six one five eleven guys out there to to contest shots on the perimeter and and that's silly. Right. It's absolutely silly. And so we ran the zone with those two guys kind of at the top and, and you know, UCLA. six three. So yeah, not... he's not short, you know. So, yeah, it's, you know, Kyle Smith was like two steps ahead of Mick Cronin the entire night. And that was so fun to watch, you know, to watch uh, your coach operating, uh, you know, two steps ahead of the other coach when, you know, for the last five years we've watched our coach just basically do nothing. Um, it was really cool. You know, that, that play with Williams at the end of regulation, I mean, guaranteed that was called in the, in the huddle. Right. They were like, okay, they're going to get the ball to Smith. Let's make sure. And they actually switched to get Miller onto Smith. I don't know if you remember that, but like he wasn't on Smith at the beginning. And then the, and then they actually switched CJ off of Smith cause they didn't want CJ picking up, you know, a cheap foul. I, at least I assume that's what it was, or maybe they wanted more like, I think they switched CJ onto Kaiman. So maybe they wanted to make sure that he couldn't get off a clean look, but either way, they switch Miller onto Smith and then guarantee in the huddle that was called like, okay, listen, when he puts the ball on the ground, you just, you just run at him. <laughs> you know, he's not the greatest ball handler, you know I mean? So, you know, just, just run at him, get your hand in there and see if you can get your hand on a ball. And, and like, as soon as he dove for the ball, like the, the ball popped out and you know, that was that. And we were heading to overtime. And and by the way, speaking of CJ Ellaby, big balls shot. Oh yeah. Big what a, balls uh, shot. Speaking of a, a hell of a set they drew up, yeah. Uh, the you know uh, in, C, CJ inbounds to Bonton, he fakes a handoff to Rap, 
dribble drive, draws the defense, kicks out to Ellaby, and Ellaby ha- needs it, needs the three, uh, 20 seconds left, and buries it. When, he, when CJ, up until that point, combined on the weekend, I believe was 5 of 33. Yep. Until he hit so that shot. Bad. <laughs> so yeah, bad. Yeah, USC and UCLA combined until he hit that shot, and then he had a layup in overtime. So he yeah. ended up four thirteen in that game, but he was two and eleven, two of eleven against US UCLA, three of twenty two against uh, USC. So he, you got to think, like, how much confidence do you still have at that point? And he just, you know, they draw the play up for him. I loved it, and he and he buries it. I funny thing about that set too, like when you looked at it. So you know they fake the handoff, Bonton, you know, drives to the rim, and they actually had Pollard coming out to set a screen for CJ to get him free to the corner. Um, Pollard ended up with nobody to screen because all of the UCLA defenders ran after Bonton. <laughs> like Which, just, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Right. Because typically <laughs> when that guy goes to the rim, it's like shots going up no matter what. Right. But you know, Bonton really, I thought, um, you know, had a really nice game. Uh, you know, still not the most efficient thing you'd ever see, uh, 17 points on 14 shots, but anytime you have more points than shots, you feel okay. You know, and he still had three turns, but he did have, he did have five assists and, you know, especially in the second half, um, second half of the game as they were coming back, you know, he was, he was sort of looking to, to make plays for others and, and still UCLA went, okay, Bonton's going to the rim. Let's all run right at him. Um, and then of course, like I said, you know, Pollard was looking for somebody looking, he was looking to screen CJ's man and he, he was sort of standing there with nobody to screen cause, cause his man completely left him and which, which gave CJ the wide open shot from the corner and uh, it was pretty great. And then Bonton of course went, uh, NBA jam on fire mode in overtime, yeah, in overtime. which was crazy. Just, yeah, he's, I mean, obviously they start, uh, they start well, but he, he starts with a, a little turnaround in the lane and then those two just up against the clock step backs off the dribble. Like we're just yeah crazy. Like th- th- there's a type of shots that he's been taking that drive you crazy all year. Yep. But in the biggest moment he buried him. Like it's like, all yep. right, man, like this is, this is why uh, Kyle Smith lets him shoot because um, this is probably what they see in practice more often. The guys hitting the shots. Got to assume. Yeah, and so it's it was cool. That's you kind of were hoping you watch this guy slinging all year, just slinging everything that this would come through in a big moment like that. But he was actually up until so the last two minutes of the game, he kind of reverted back to uh, of regulation after he had been distributing in the comeback for about ten minutes, just being a you know kind of waiting for his shot or or finding for others he kind of like went into hero mode and that's how wsu kind of found it found itself in in a deficit um needing to come back with that three at the end by Ellaby. but then he he kind of stayed in hero mode for, <laughs> for the overtime and it worked out because yeah. he just well he also came with that huge block um that uh on uh, I think it was Jules Bernard. He swatted. Apparently, they played against. He and Ellaby played on uh, against Bernard and in, um, in AAU, and so he. There was a, it was a real. They wanted to beat Bernard quite a, like th- that was a big thing for them. And uh, you know, Bonton showed. Um, he he showed this weekend that uh, 
he's on the floor for defense and he just happens to be one of the few guys on our team that can create, can create a shot on his own. Um, but his defense was impressive. Um, and then his offense, you know, finally came through to, to help deliver a win. Yeah. It finally matched. Right. You know, and, yeah. and, you know, people have been saying, you know, we, we get these comments on Coog Center about Bonton and we, and look, we've even expressed, right. <laughs> some frustration at times with his, uh, uh, loose nature in, in terms of shot selection. Um, but, you know, we've talked about why it is that, you know, he's he's probably allowed a little bit more of a free reign than than we all would like. And, and I know fans kind of get frustrated. They're like, well, why can't he just take a better shot? And it's like, okay, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, somebody's got to shoot it, right? And, you know, early in the year, the, the offense was ragged, right? Like, just like the sets were bad and like every like everything was just not very sharp um and so at some point somebody just had to kind of put the ball on the ground and go take a shot and that was Bonton and that was Ellaby and that was it and I don't think we've fully come out of that yet I don't think so fully but I do think it's gotten quite a bit better you know I I feel like our offensive sets are better um things are a little sharper a little crisper and I I think that's part of what you're seeing with you know Bonton you know getting some assists and I do think they're falling into some bad shots still um you know Ellaby obviously you know forced a ton of shots against USC I'm sure we'll talk about that game but um you know that crazy terrible shooting game he had there um, you know, for some shots that were definitely not within the offense. But I feel like at this point when they run the offense, um, they, they typically can get some okay shots. Um, and now that's Some of that's going to be depending on the opponent. You know, part of the problem with USC was they just really, really struggled with USC length and, and they're going to struggle with long teams. Like I, I think I said this last night, you know, you know, Washington might beat us by 30 and, and that's not because Washington is necessarily 30 points better than us. They're just a really, really bad matchup. They're like exceptionally long and they run that zone and they're just asking for you to shoot threes. And we're not a great three point shooting team. It's just like, you know, we're going to struggle against teams like that, but um, you know, when they play hard and, you know, they play the defense they play, they're going to keep themselves in a ton of games. And then, you know, you go on a little offensive run like they did against UCLA and, you know, all of a sudden you're in it and, and the just the toughness on the team is just something that's really cool. And USC nine point loss might've been the most proud I've been of a Cougar basketball team in years. They just fought so damn hard. And with the injuries they had and everything else, they just could not. Ellaby not being able to. Yeah, Ellaby couldn't have shot. I mean, if Ellaby has a normal night, they probably win that game, right? So, you know, all things, you know, put together, like, yeah, like this, the foundation's in the right place. And there are, you know, if they can add some offensive talent, some of this talent's going to mature between next year, this year and next year. And, you know, they're adding a couple guys and, you know, they've still got a scholarship to play with. So, you know, if they can get the offense looking a little bit better, the defense is going to be what it is. Uh, you know, you can see the building blocks for something that can turn into something where we didn't see any of that for five years. Like there was li- maybe Ernie's first year. I kind of talked myself into, okay. Like there maybe all right I think I can kind of and then you know it was four years of garbage so yeah it's exciting yeah for sure and and you know to go back to the point of Smith is like uh, just the way we attacked each team I it, 
it seemed to be a point of emphasis to attack the glass, the offensive glass against yes. USC. And then against UCLA, it was more, let's get back on defense. And so um, you see against UCLA, they they only got six offensive rebounds, only 15% of the chances. And then, But against UC, USC, particularly in the first half, they, got, they overall got 20 uh, offensive rebounds, 33% of the chances, which is more along what they normally do. But UCLA, they obviously saw something like, hey, this is not worth our time because you didn't see – you saw guys crashing against yep. USC and the buddy yep. UCLA. Uh, no, so obviously there was something Kyle saw that like maybe uh, I, I think probably UCLA's guards uh, a little bit better than USC's guards, maybe, or maybe pushing the break. So maybe he, he saw that. Um, I, I don't know. It uh, obviously, I, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but it was, it, it's, well, they're it was just, interesting to I, see. I would say it's, I think it's probably just that they're a dominant rebounding team. Like that's the one thing they do well is yeah, defensive but so rebounding is, and offensive so is, rebounding. So is UCLA. So is USC. Yeah, that's like, true. USC is a really good, like the like USC it was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I guess they weren't, um, they, they had been, I think they had a really bad weekend in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, but UCLA um, 17th nationally in defensive yeah, rebounding yeah, percentage. Yeah. So, but yeah, so, but they, yeah, they, they obviously just, uh, like we're not going to get them. So, uh, let's, let's not even try. And that's a, a, a pretty typical of uh, Mick Cronin teams. Um, that's his teams at Cincinnati. They, they lock down the glass and they lock down the defensive end. Um, but yeah, this is, um, you, Coming into this weekend, uh, we we kind of thought you know USC would be the t- we knew USC would be the tougher one. Yep. Um, um, Onyeka Kongu was uh, just superlative. We had no answer for him. Like it was, we had nobody to guard him. Uh, it, he was he's a lottery pick in a couple months. And, yep. you know, Like it's. Yep. Uh, and he's uh, we just we just don't have. Uh, we, I think the funny thing is, I think Miller was the one that gave him the most trouble. Um, especially, funny. especially offensively, like when Miller had the ball, like he was like, he was frustrating to Kongu. Like it was pretty funny. Like it was funny. Uh, like it was funny. Like, yeah, our six, six, uh, division two transfer is, yeah. is, uh, is, is pissing off this, uh, this, uh, future lottery pick. Like it's, <laughs> But uh, yeah, overall, like Okongwu uh, was the uh, the very clear difference in that game because outside of him, USC was having trouble scoring, um, uh, and outside of shots that he was setting up, like obviously their bigs are what drove that. But um, but it you know you take out Okongwu or like you kind of level off Okongwu and 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 our best scorer Ellaby, and that game looks different. But um, Ellaby was obviously just had a miserable night. Um, you could see early on something that was, if we just want to transit, just want to transition to USC, maybe take a break and then we'll go into USC or do you just want to roll yeah, with it? We can take a break. You know, take a break and then we'll talk USC. We're back. So yeah, what I was saying is, um, when you saw early on, uh, I mean, this was the problem with WSU's very, very weak uh, non-conference schedule. They were clearly kind of like bombarded by that. Like they were shocked at the level of athleticism that USC had. 
particularly when they had the when you when uh, WSU had the ball. Like I saw LAB kind of force some shots, hurry some shots up, and and all the players uh, they just seemed to be kind of like, oh geez, we have not played a team like this with guards this big and that this athletic and bigs this big and athletic at all at any point in this season. Um, you haven't seen a, you know, they, they've seen some shot blockers, but definitely not at the level of a Kongu and, and, and the rest of the guys um, down there, like Rekovic, Rekisevic. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it definitely because uh, USC jumped out pretty quick at the start of that game. Um, and WSU had to adjust. And I think that's what you were talking about with the effort that they put in. It looked like USC was going to run away with that game early um, yes, because they were just dominating. WSU uh, had no answers on offense, and then USC was kind of scoring pretty easily on defense or when, when WSU was on defense. But it was – but, it again, it, even though Pollard got knocked out, you would, Pollard's our only true big. And – like in terms of size, yeah, and, and he gets knocked out very early, um, and sent to the hospital, um, but and then comes back miraculously at the end. But uh, but but yeah, so he gets knocked out very early. So you're you're with Tony Miller um, playing the four, Jazz Koontz um, digging in there. You had you had Mark Ovetsky getting more minutes than he's typically used to, um, and having a hell of a time. Guarding a Kongwu, that was not a good matchup. For that was him. pretty funny. Yeah, he had no. It was. It was. <laughs> that no was a chance. struggle. Yeah, um, yeah, and you, once you see, USC saw that, like Markovetsky was not long for the game. Right. Um, but yeah, it was. But they fought. You know, man, Rodman logged 19 minutes in that game. Uh, that's. I gotta think that's his season high by a long shot. I think uh, so. And uh, yeah, Noah played 19 minutes uh you it was just they they had to do it and it really the the offense was the issue particularly the shooting and particularly uh Ellaby um just you know two of 14 on twos one of eight from three um one of eight from three was probably the, the real dagger uh we expected there to be real tough sledding inside and yeah. he didn't have he, most of his two pointers were contested or difficult or any anything but the funny thing is of course to, our 66 210 power for 210 pound power forward tony miller was 7 of 11 yeah in that game but <laughs> what can you do but uh um but yeah so it that was a, just a tough game for cj um and it was a tough game again for ucla against ucla but i i hope maybe the way he finished kind of sparks him but um, yeah, that that was rough, and it it it, it kind of rem- it reminded me quite a bit of the uh, Santa Clara game, yeah. where if if CJ would have just given anything, they would have uh, had a shot to win. Yeah, three of twenty two is is almost unbelievable. <laughs> like, yeah. like number one to miss that many shots. Number two to even like take that many shots. <laughs> you just you just don't see that. Of course, Bonton also had 26 shots in that game. So between the two of them, they were 10 for 48, uh, which, you know, I don't need a calculator to know that's bad. That's really bad. Uh, Bonton at least finished with 18 points. Uh, he had you know, four threes. Yeah, he hit four threes, which helped. But, 
Um, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes you get in that kind of a funk. The bummer was that he was still in that funk, mostly against UCLA. Um, so, you know, hopefully a week off will give him a chance to, to reset a little bit. Um, cause we're going to, you know, we're obviously going to need him, uh, may not need him to beat Cal. Uh, but you know, playing on the road at Cal, you know, they, that's not going to be certainly not going to be easy. Not for, uh, not for us. I don't know that anything's going to be easy for us. So, um, but it's the thing I think that, that I loved about that USC game. And I think something that displays, um, just really kind of how hard they fought was, uh, you know, so Pollard went out like in the first five minutes, um, and USC proceeded to go on a 15 to two run, uh, took a 20 to seven lead. Um, at that point, according to Ken Palm, uh, USC's win probability was all the way up to 88%. Okay. So it went up from 66% to start the game to 88% at that point. Okay. And then, you know, for the remainder of the half, they kind of, you know, clawed back, clawed back, clawed back until eventually, you know, it was 29, 27. And at that point, the win probability had dropped for USC to only about 70% in their favor. So pretty close to what it was at the beginning of the game, you know, accounting for the fact that, they were now down two and with only half a game to go. Um, and then, you know, second half, USC starts to stretch it out again. Uh, you know, and eventually the win probability gets back up to 89% with just over nine minutes to go as USC is holding a 50 to 43 lead. So nine minutes to go, we're down seven. Uh, you know, the algorithm looks at our offense, looks at their defense, looks at the difference in the team qualities and says, okay, you, you've, you know, WSU, you've got a roughly you know, 10% ish chance to, to come back and win this game. And then, you know, what do they do? Bang, bang, two buckets, right. To pull back within 47, 45 win probabilities only at 70% at that 72% at that point. So they like, I know I'm throwing out a lot of spitting out a lot of numbers, but like, if you were looking at this, uh, you know, this graph of the various win probabilities at the various game States, what you see is, is kind of this rolling, Thing where eventually it ends up on USC's side, but it kind of goes up and then it comes down and then it goes up a little bit and then it comes down a little bit and then eventually it goes up to where, okay, USC finishes it out. That sort of thing is really indicative of a, of a team that, you know, continues to fight, continues to pull back in. And when you play good defense, you play sound defense, you always give yourself a chance to pull back into a game. And I think that's, you know, that's the part that I think maybe we didn't, articulate very well when we talked about, you know, why we missed, you know, the Bennett ball stuff, right? You know, people kind of, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm like, oh, the Bennett ball days those were so great. And, you know, the main reason why is they were winning. Like, I, I don't know that most of us were, you know, longing for the days of Dick Bennett, <laughs> right? Where it was like, yeah, like number whatever, number one, number eight defense, whatever in the country and the number, you know, 250 offense. It's like, right. you know, it was like pulling teeth. But at the same time, I think the the thing that we couldn't always articulate or the, maybe that we just didn't articulate very well was just this idea that when you play defense like that, you always give yourself a chance. Now, maybe you have a terrible shooting night like we did against USC and it's just painful and it's bad. And, you know, it's like the old Dick Bennett days when Thomas Kalati had a bad game and you just go, can't win. Right. But, it, you know, you just give you give yourself a chance. And, you know, like I said, they were within three points with 
you know, eight minutes to go, seven and a half minutes to go. Uh, USC closed it out, I think, on a 15, I don't know, 15-5 run or something like that, the, the remainder of the game. But, you know, they were there. They were there. They just needed to hit some shots. And, and that feels like a foundation for some success at our particular school. Yeah, and I and I hope that uh, the uh, just I, I hope it's noticed in some way. I, I hope the students who went back from break had it on TV and they you know saw because you know you think uh, when they pulled within fifty forty seven. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was a breakaway dunk for CJ. It was. It was back to back. And so if you're thinking, uh, if you're thinking like if if that student crowd is going there was no students there right if, if you have a student crowd going just the energy in that building um just to be able to provide that home court advantage that we don't really seem to have like especially right now i mean um, i'll give credit to the you know the locals because there was you know uh, uh, 2500 people or something there for uh, ucla which um, and the, you know, they obviously let them fill in kind of general admission in some of the, the student seats. So there was people there, um, but it's just not the energy that the students bring obviously. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that maybe, um, you know, this weekend I think is really big for going forward for the, uh, when the Oregon schools come to town, um, especially for clay, the clay Thompson retirement night, It'd be great because WC has a real tough schedule coming up after Cal. Um, and some of those games are home at home, though. And it'd be cool if there was more energy in the building. So I think this weekend um, is uh, uh, Cal is a one you kind of got to win. Um, yeah, they're they're bad. And, and we're not good, but they're worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good um, way to put it. Um, and Stanford's going to be tough. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. Yes. Um, and we, even when we're good, we don't win there very much. Um, Not typically. So, yeah. So it's, but you got to hope they can once again, at least split the weekend, um, come into with the Oregon schools, uh, two and two Oregon's going to be a tough game. Oregon state's going to be a tough game. Um, it's the, 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 schedule does not get easier from here. Our, 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 our easiest back to back in conference play is, ucla and cal like that those two games in a row so right. it would be great to get these two wins to kind of spark the rest of the season because um after this you after cal you have number 50 on, on kempom ratings uh, by the way number 50 uh i believe stanford's number 14 in the net rating <laughs> but they're number 50 in, in kempom's ratings which um is probably more predictive of of team quality uh well, I think, the, the net rating yeah the net rating is going strictly off results at this point ken palm is still factoring in projections that's uh, the difference yeah that's the difference so yeah um and there's we we could have people on to talk about why projections matter but um but uh, <laughs> uh but do stanford matter. uh stanford's number 50 oregon's number 15 oregon state's number 67 colorado 39 and then Utah 100, and those Colorado-Utah games are at elevation. Right. Road. So this yeah. is ap- – after Cal, it's tough. And it's it's a stretch that screams five losses. But yeah. you just hope you get that win at Cal, and then you're going to have a good crowd for Oregon State. And, like, you're just hoping that in this stretch we can kind of tread water. Actually, it, uh, but there's not a lot of – there's you're going to have to tread water a lot. It's tough. Like, the, 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 
the conference is better this year. WC is a lot better. So is everyone else. We've, yeah. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep saying it. I, I just. I'm gonna keep saying it because there's gonna be a point where we're gonna lose some games and people are gonna freak out. And and yeah. I just like look the Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford are all better than they were last year. Um, and WSU is also, but it's still tough. But anyway, so the, coming up, maybe talk a bit about this weekend. We we talked about Cal. Um, they're 194 in Kempom. Uh, so they have also improved quite a bit from last year, but they are still very bad. Let's see. Last yeah. year they, last year um, with the um, impressive Viking Jones uh, finished two forty one, um, but with Mark Fox they've ticked up to one ninety four. So good luck to him on that rebuild. But right. uh, um, but yeah, they're they are a, a slow paced team. Uh, they shoot threes. They have some th- shooters, but they don't shoot very many threes. Um, they are, uh, they give up three point shooting, but that doesn't really matter to us. Uh, they don't, they don't force many turnovers and they do turn all the, turn the ball over quite a bit. They are not a very good rebounding team. I could see us dominating that. Um, it's, you know, it's, they're they're not very good. Uh, Bradley's their best player. He's pretty good. Uh, he's uh, he's a guard. Um, I guess guard kind of wing. Um, yeah. And uh, he uh, he's definitely going to shoot the bulk of their shots. And uh, but I, I feel like we have the guys to defend him. So it's it's it, there's not a lot to defend outside of that. They don't have size that's going to kill us. Uh, their biggest guy is six eight two fifty five, um, so it's uh, it, they're they're not the sort of team that gives us a matchup problem. So uh, just on quality, uh, WSU should win. Obviously, the the away being uh, Cal being at home helps, but and that's probably why I think they're uh, they are the, they are the slight edge on the yeah, toss it's, up on it's Kemp a coin flip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one thing that's good to point out for people is that, you know, we're ranked, what is it? 135, right? Something yeah, like that. Been, it's been fluctuating. It's 136. Like okay. Yeah. So it's 136 right now. Cal's 194. So you go, oh, well, we're, you know, 60 spots better than Cal. True. <laughs> but the difference between 136 and 194 probably isn't as big as you imagine. Uh, it's in terms of efficiency margin, you're talking a difference of four points per 100 possessions. So against an average team on a neutral floor, you would expect over 100 possessions for WSU to be four points better than Cal, right? And so in a regular game, maybe In a regular three. game, you're talking like three points, right? Because yeah. you're talking 70 to 75 possessions for us. So you're talking maybe three points on a neutral floor, right, against an average opponent. Well, okay, so it's not a neutral floor. You're playing at Cal. So so that that's how you end up from, well, geez, we're 60 spots ahead of them to Pomeroy projecting a, a literal 50-50 coin flip on this game. So what I, what I do like is, is kind of what you were talking about that, um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily strong in ways that they give us a lot of trouble. Um, they turn the ball over a bunch, which is always good for us. Uh, you know, they're not a real strong offensive rebounding team. They're also not a great defensive rebounding team. Um, and, and those are really for us kind of the two, uh, key factors. They don't force really any turnovers at all. They're one of the worst teams in the country at forcing turnovers. So, um, they're not going to necessarily push us into something uncomfortable, 
uh, as far as taking care of the ball. So I, I think it matches up well for us, uh, particularly to have a really good uh, defensive game. Now, it might be, you know, it might be ugly. Uh, you know, it might be the kind of game we win, you know, 55 to 50 or something ridiculous like that. But um, but I like I like our chances. I, I know Pomeroy projects it as a coin flip, and maybe I'm just, you know, still, you know, flying high after beating UCLA. But um, you know, I look at this game and I just, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't see the ways in which Cal, um, you know, is set up to give us, uh, to give us much trouble. Now, Stanford, on the other hand, yeah, that's um, different. Stanford. <laughs> that's really different. Stanford is playing defense and that's yes. their calling card. They yep. are playing defense. They are, um, forcing tough shots. Uh, they don't give up many, you know, open threes, uh, they 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 block a lot of shots, even though they're not big. They're not super big, but um, they kind of it's kind of like a group effort. Like there's no there's a couple like De, like De Silva and Jones are their uh, shot blockers, but they're not like elite shot blockers. Uh, it's just everyone's getting in there and getting their hands on the ball. <laughs> like so, um, they they just they're 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 obviously a deflection oriented defense. Um, it, which, which they they force turnovers. One of the best teams in the country force turnovers. Uh, they have one of the best free throw defenses. Yeah, how about that? How I noticed do, that. So that that shows you they're a little bit lucky. Um, what are you talking about? That's all skill. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're very good defense. I mean, yeah. you, you look at their factors; they're all green. Like yes. every single. One it's that's what it used to. That's pretty much what it used to look like when we had Tony Bennett. Like we would just like look at this and go, oh yeah. Yeah, we're good at all of it. Besides forcing turnovers, or well, yeah, well, we had some we had some years there with Kyle Weaver, where we actually forced a lot of turnovers, particularly for a pack line team. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah, Stanford's real good. That defense is gonna uh, is gonna be hell for us. Uh, yeah, it's it's scoring is gonna, gonna be, be tough. It's gonna be rough. So. Um, but they uh, but the other way. WSU should be able to clear like when WSU is on defense, they should be able to play good defense. Like there's, there, there's not uh De Silva is a, a great player, but that who's, who's probably gonna be a tough guard. Um, but uh, outside of that, they don't, they don't even, they obviously are getting back on They're They're obviously eschewing offensive rebounds yep. to, to go get back. Yep. So we're going to clear all the defensive boards um, there. They turn the ball over quite a bit. Um, particularly their guards. So that's a good sign. Uh, uh, that that's that can help. They they uh they don't give up a ton of steals, but I mean that's fine. Whatever, give the ball give the ball to us any way you can. Uh, they're a pretty good shooting team. Um, but that again plays into uh, WC's strength a little bit because they're they kind of they work hard to bother shots. Like it's not. I, I it, it, there's I I think that WSU can kind of replicate um, uh, the defensive performance that they've had against um, UCLA and USC against Stanford. Um, it's just that offense, like scoring, yeah. is going to be tough. It's going to be rough. Yeah, Stanford's only two losses this year uh, to Kansas, the uh, second ranked team in Ken Palm's rankings, and Butler, the fifth ranked team, and. The loss to Butler was by a point, and then uh, on a neutral floor. On a neutral floor, and then the loss to Kansas was was by a few more, but still, yeah, it's uh, they're a good team. 
they're a good team and you know, that's going to be tough. But, you know, San Diego played them to within three points. And yeah, I wouldn't be San Francisco surprised. played them to within eight. And, you know, I they're not blowing people if, out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford, though, ends up like a top 30 Kempom team by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, even though they blew out Oklahoma. Uh, they, yeah, they, I, they, they do seem to play down to competition a little bit. So well, let's hope for that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, uh, it it'll be probably an ugly game again. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what but, we like it. Uh, yeah, ugly yeah. that thing up. Uh, yeah. Um, so Cal Stanford, uh, one's very bad, one's pretty good. Uh, it's gonna be uh, you know hopefully we get that W on Thursday. Thursday is when WC plays Cal, and then Saturday is the Stanford. Yeah, and like we talked about with USC and UCLA, you know, I mean, it's a realistic expectation is to get one, right? So if you can get one, you're feeling pretty good, Um, you know, and if somehow you, you know, steal a sweep, then, you know, more power to you. And then and then after that's Clay weekend. So Yeah. Hell yeah. You're going to that. I don't know if I am. We'll see. I'm still working on that one. Offer my bed to someone else. (sighs) I have a hard time turning down your bed, Craig. <laughs> I just got to say that. Keep it PG, man. <laughs> this is podcast versus everyone. You don't. <laughs> we we put that explicit rating on this shit every week, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is there a triple X rating? Is that is that where we need to go next? Yeah. <laughs> X-rated. What's up, Craig? X-rated. Mm. Wait, that's when we get into the, the to the fanfic. Mm. Is the X-rated stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Anyway, so basketball. Yeah, it's exciting, man. People, listen. People need to watch that shit. Like, I don't know if you have Pac-12 networks or not. If you don't, do what I did and find a friend who has it. Thanks, Greg. And watch it that way. But like, you gotta watch this team. Like it is, they are fun, man. They are fun. Even when the shooting's bad, like don't get hung up. And and that's my, by the way, that's my advice. When you watch the team, do not get hung up on the bad shots. Do not get hung up on the offensive struggles. Just watch them play their asses off and just be excited about what that means. Cause the way they, the, the organization on defense, the discipline on defense, the hustle on defense. Um, and it's not like, And it's a, I guess I'll even say this too, you know, it's a different kind of defense than what we had with the Bennett's. The Bennett's with the pack line was just like, it was like this boa constrictor, right? Where it's like choking you out over the course of, at the time, 35 seconds, right? Like they are just, they're going to frustrate you and they're going to fluster you and they're eventually going to like just get you to get so annoyed that you take a bad shot. This defense is not like that. This defense forces the action. They are in your face and they are like pressuring the ball and pressuring passing lanes. And the crazy part is that they are way, they are absolutely trying to generate turnovers and they're not, um, getting themselves out of like crazy out of position to do it, which is what's wild. Like, that's what I wanted Ernie Kent to do. I was like, you know, if you can't coach defense, fine. Like, come up with some junky defense that tries to come up. And they did a little bit with the one three one when they used to run that garbage. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, you know, just like 
if you're not going to try and stay in front of anybody, then just go for as many steals as you can. Like just, you know, sell out for those, be weird. Okay. Whatever. Look, these guys force a ton of turnovers and they do it in a way that is aggressive, but not so aggressive that they're out of position and giving up easy buckets. In fact, when they give up an easy bucket, it's almost kind of startling. Like you're just like, wait a second. That was, that's kind of easy. Like that doesn't happen. They don't do that. They don't give those up. So yeah, that's the part, you know, if you, if you're kind of new to watching these guys, if you've been watching football for the last four months and you're like, okay, I'm finally ready for basketball. Um, you know, really latch onto that. Watch them on the defensive end. Don't get hung up on the bad shots. Don't get hung up on the offensive problems. Um, just kind of take that for what it is. They're not a very talented offensive team. And, and appreciate the work ethic and the toughness because those are the personality traits of the coach that they're taking on. And that's the stuff that's going to stick and allow them to uh, to be what they're going to be going forward. Yeah, and, and don't feel too bad if you are – uh, kind of unprepared or, or don't know much about the team because uh, the guy who was paid to be the color analyst uh, for the for the games oh, this weekend, um, just Eldridge Kasner, former Husky, and uh, Yakima Yakima Sun King, um, Yakum. He, yeah, Yakum. Yakima, yeah, Yakima Um But he uh, he I don't know, Jeff. Do, do you think outside of a conversation with Heister, who has covered probably at least half a dozen of our games this year, uh, do you think he did any preparation? No, I don't. Maybe looked at a box score. Well, That's, I mean, outside maybe of... Maybe looked yeah, at a stat sheet. A, a stat sheet. I don't with think count, he looked at with box count, scores. With counting stats. With counting stats. I don't think yeah. he looked at... I don't think he looked at box scores of previous games. I, I think he no. looked at the, the averages. And um, yeah, he... Uh, he he knew about Noah Williams, obviously, because uh, he's he from must, Seattle. Because he's from Seattle, and um, he, he like played on Rotary the, AAU yeah, he team. Played on the Rotary oh. AAU team, and 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 he knows Gus Williams, obviously. But uh, right but, uh, outside of that, like he was expressed shock. Well, yeah, one of my favorite lines at the start uh, it was early in the early in the game. It's USC. Um, Bonton pulls up for one of his classic twenty-eight foot threes off the dribble, and 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 uh, and he goes, "Wow, you weren't kidding, Greg. He really does like he really does have a quick trigger." Yeah, like wow, like no shit. If, if you spent more than like four minutes like preparing for the game, you might yeah. have realized that. <sighs> like I don't know, like look at any stats, like. <laughs> He shoots well, the ball a lot. This is why, you know, you and I sort of love Ken Palm. And sometimes people, I think, get, I don't know, like they like they think it's like this really, you know, overwhelming mystical thing. And it's not. Like it's, it's like if you're a baseball fan and you understand batting average, then you can understand rebounding percentage. You can understand turnover percentage. It's just turnovers divided by possessions, right? Or, you know, you can understand usage, which is, how many possessions end because of that player divided by the total number of possessions of the team. Like it's, it's really that simple when they're on the floor, right? When they're on the floor, but it's like, but it's, it's really that simple. And so it's like, you know, if you just learn a couple of things and you look at Ken Palm, you can spend five minutes looking at a team's sort of page and figure out like all of these things, like all of these things right away. If you knew anything about our, about Ken Palm, and you knew any, and you looked at our team for five seconds, you'd be like, "Oh wow, holy shit, Bonton! 
that dude takes a ton of shots and he's not very efficient with them. And you could do that without even having watched him for a minute. Right. And yet here we are listening to um, Elder Drakasner, who, you know, apparently did not watch anything. Um, I think my favorite thing was when they came out of a timeout, ran their little dribble drive weave, and then off of a handoff, Bonton, you know, went to the basket. He ended up missing the shot, but you know, it was off the dribble. It was off their, their, you know, their weave, their handoff weave set. And then he, and then he takes the handoff and, and dribbles for the basket. And, and Rick Hasner says something like, yeah, that's just too much one-on-one play for me. They're just, they're just too much one-on-one. And I'm like, that was a set out of a play where like eight guys touch the, not eight, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, I think all five guys touch the ball. Like, it's like, yeah, Bonton does do that, but he didn't on that one. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, it, it, clueless and very difficult. And Heister, like, seems like he's pro- both those guys are probably very nice gentlemen. But it's like Heister even. I'm like, bro, you have called, like, how many of our games? And you're still, like, surprised by our defense. It's like, I guess maybe after calling five years of Ernie Kent, he hasn't quite figured it out yet. But yeah. it's like, you know, yo, we play defense and it's good ridiculous i guess there was one more uh my one of my favorite rick hasner on the play in overtime against ucla uh on the play that cj fouled out on um chris smith so they were they were still in the zone um the ball got swung to chris smith in the in the in the corner and obviously cj was the guy at the bottom of the zone and so he was you know tasked with guarding the drive and fouled him and Rick Hasner goes, see, that's why they, they shouldn't play man to man on them. They, they, they like, and it was like, they weren't playing, they weren't playing man to man, but even in a zone, <laughs> you end up with one-on-one like responsibilities that, does happen. that tends to happen sometimes. And like, and it's, so it was just like, man, like, like that, that wasn't really what I would like. That's whatever. It was yeah. the lack of preparation. Like the, him calling the USC game was just like. I'm pretty sure oh he didn't God. know uh, Okongwu's last name. Uh, he kept calling oh, he, him by his first name. Or he maybe he was his friend. I don't know. Either way. But. Maybe he also uh, at one point um, said Machovetsky. Yes, that was a good one. It was funny. It was right after Heister said Markovetsky. Right. He said Machovetsky. Like, yeah. So you're just like, man. you're like, you got one eye on the sheet. like thing. It's like, yeah. Dude, I know. Come on, like I, uh, uh, I, I, I'm able to write four or five hundred words to preview a team in twenty minutes because of Kempom, and it's yeah. it, and and then I'm have I'm not very I'm surprised by very little when the game transpires, like just because like the ten you can see the tendencies of teams in, in the way that you know in, in the way they rebound and in, in in the way they they shoot and you know like the shots they take and what we also use hoop math which is free like kempom to see a lot of these stats you have to pay 20 20 whole dollars 20 whole dollars for one year like, which, is which, which is which i find if you're just a regular fan fine whatever but like if if you're a professional like analyst that's like the cheapest bang for your buck you could possibly get absolutely like, like, um i mean for me personally like I wouldn't know what to do without it. Like it makes me f- sound smarter. All the oh time. yeah. 
Um, and like then, we're like, hey, you know, this team is good at rebounding and blah 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 blah. blah. But, and it's like we just it's just looking at the numbers, you know. But if you want to dig a little deeper, uh, there's also another really cool site called Hoop Math. Yes. dot com and hoop math hoop, is great. hoop 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 uh, dash math dot com and it it the stats there um, basically tell you uh, it breaks down uh, shots at the rim two two point jumpers three point jumpers um, putbacks things like that so it, it kind of gives you it, it gives you an idea of the type of assisted makes unassisted makes things like that so it gives you you can figure out what a player is based on if they're taking unassisted like you look at Bonton like uh I can pull it up real quick like Bonton he only takes only or or Ellaby only 4% of his two point jumper jumper makes are assisted right so obviously he's cre- he's a creator only 20 only uh 59% of his threes are assisted 56% of Bonton's those are actually really low numbers it's it's very Super normal low. to have assisted threes like it's yep. very normal um like cuz if you look at like uh Jazz Coons every single one of his three makes have been assisted like he doesn't put the ball on the floor to take a shot and if he does he's not going to make the shot so right. um so yeah it it breaks it down into their their field goal percentage on jump two point jumpers on, on shots at the rim so you can really get which by the way f- CJ's uh field goal percentage on shots at the rim is, is 72% right now so he he's doing really well when he gets to the rim CJ go to the rim man um which we've been wanting him to do more and more all season but i yeah. obviously this weekend it was a little tough but still like go to the rim um but yeah so uh hoop math ken palm like you can spend 20 minutes on these two sites and and have a really good idea about what a team does and what the players what their key players do yep and and you you saw a a guy this weekend that just didn't clearly didn't take the time to do it which is kind of frustrating it's like you're cut you know you're covering this one team for two straight games over the course of three days like why are you just relying on a conversation with a play-by-play announcer who's covered them like six times like and, and who isn't really tasked with analyzing more just tasked with observing so it's like it's it, it it was just it was kind of frustrating um it was very frustrating watching the usc game like him just being shocked at things that could happen like if you but it would things that you would take five seconds watch the team or whatever or just watch one game i don't right. know like take the time to watch one game i don't know yeah like, it was whatever. pretty clear he hadn't watched any games like not even a minute <laughs> like, like not, not even, even like minute. not even and that was the thing like I, i'm like okay you're a former player i get it you know you might not be into the numbers thing whatever it and again you know it, <laughs> I think it's silly to think of it that way. It's always put in, oh, stats are for nerds. You know, it's like, uh, you know, numbers are for losers. You know, like it's it's not about trying to be like, look at the numbers and say, you know, this is what it is or, or try to be, you know, like it's not a money ball thing. This is just like, I mean, it can be. But what we are talking about is just using those numbers to give you a like inform you. Right. Because you may not be able to. Even if you're Eldridge Kasner, you may not be able to sit down and watch, you know, 10 games, right? I mean, if you watch 10 games of WSU and 10 games of UCLA so that you knew what you were talking about, like that's it's a pretty hefty time investment. So, okay, well, what's the shorthand? Well, you go look at these numbers and it's like it's obvious. Okay, Bonton, obviously, 
has taken a ton of shots and is really struggling. And you can know that just by looking at that, you know, and it doesn't, you don't need to be, you know, some kind of math whiz to know that, you know, you just have to maybe do a little due diligence, look a little and figure it out, you know, and you can look and be like, Oh, they need a third scorer besides Ellaby and Bonton. Well, actually <laughs> they're getting pretty efficient scoring out of Jeff Pollard. Right. Like they're Tony getting Miller. they're getting pretty efficient scoring out of Tony Miller. The only issue with those guys is they're not getting enough shots because Bonton and LB are taking them all right. Like you can know that just by looking at those numbers. You don't have to necessarily watch the team. They're not lacking for a third scorer because they don't have anybody who is else who is scoring. They're lacking for a third scorer because there's not room for a third person to get enough shots up. Because two guys are taking well, yeah, if, almost if you, all of them. Yeah, so just just for reference, uh, when C.J. Ellaby is on the floor, he takes 30.2% of the shots available. That is, or, or of, of WSU shots, that's 86 nationally. When Isaac Bonton's on the floor, he takes 30.7% of WSU shots. That's 75th nationally. We have two guys in the top 100 nationally in shot percent in the percentage of shots that they take when when their team is on the floor um, and they're and, both and they're on the floor at the floor. same time yeah they're generally on the floor at the same time and in probably 90 percent of their minutes like are on the floor at the same time right so you figure 60 percent ish of the shots when those two are on the floor are going through those two guys yeah yeah and so that's that's why you see miller and pollard don't take a lot of shots they're at 18 percent roughly each uh, Koontz is a little below 18%. Gervais Robinson is at a way too high 15%. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're just, you know, they're getting the, getting the leftovers, you know. So, like, what you, you know, if you want to argue, and I, you know, certainly can get behind this argument, uh, you know, those two guys should shoot less so that somebody else can shoot a little, maybe Pollard, maybe Miller, because both of those guys have been pretty efficient. Now, granted... Typically, efficiency goes down as shots go up, but both of those guys have proven themselves to be reasonably efficient scorers. I mean, Jeff Pollard right now is the number 38 efficiency scorer in the country. Number 38. <laughs> That's pretty good. So maybe that so we have happen. we have we have other guys to score. It's just that if you're only looking at per game averages, it doesn't look that impressive. So. That's, but that but when you look at rate stats, it tells it tells a different story. Yep, and that's it what doesn't it, take so, long to figure that out. So we appreciate it, Mr. Rikasner. You kind of gave us a reason to explain um, early in the season, uh, in the Pac-12 season, all this uh, nonsense that we spout uh, about our different stats. So thank you for letting us uh, letting us do that. We appreciate it. Um, but please uh, do a little bit better next time. Yeah. Do better. They're paying you real actual money. Come on. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, what else? What else? Should we talk? Uh, hey, are you concerned that we don't have a defensive coordinator for the football team yet? Um, are you panicking a, yet? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, like I, I'm, in, I'm in the little bit category, too. Yeah, like, I mean it's we're to the point where uh what is it so it Je, uh, alex grinch was announced 
in the middle, like January 14th. Yeah, we're getting close. Um, it's January 6th as we're recording this. Um, probably they'll probably hire someone in between. Uh, see what by the time you'll hear it, so this all sound done. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, man, it sure would be great if Rocky Long wanted to come coach. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that floated out today, right? But uh, yeah, I don't know if we uh, pay a dude who's making eight hundred fifty thousand dollars as a head coach wants to come make less as our defensive coordinator. Give him that San Diego to Pullman exchange rate. Yeah, right? there you go. Right, exactly. Like, like making seven hundred thousand dollars in Pullman's basically the same, right? Yeah, probably. I would say so. California state income tax, with the price of li- cost of living in San Diego. Yeah, man, it's probably even better. Probably. Yeah, he's yeah. probably actually making money by taking a pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. Come on up to Pullman. We'll pay yeah. you less, but it's worth. More. That'd be great. I'm guessing he's probably not looking for a total rebuild. That's. <laughs> That's kind of, I mean, he's 70 years old. You know, if he's wanting to take, you know, ostensibly a, a step down, right, to go from uh, head coach to defensive coordinator, you know, my guess is he's he's just looking for something with a little less stress, a little less, you know, responsibility, and, you know, probably not a, you know, three-year rebuild, which is what, uh, you know, which is probably what we got going on our defense. So, I don't know. Like, uh, it's funny. I remember when, you know, the, the Alex Grinch thing was going on by this point in that process, I was, I was definitely, I wasn't panicking, but I was definitely like, what the hell? Why is this taking so long now? I'm just sort of like, "Eh, eh." (laughs) you know, like, like, I don't know, man. Leach is weird. He's unconventional. He does whatever he does. I mean, you know, I, you just, you got the sense that he didn't see this as a real urgent matter. Right. And, which is sort of bizarre, but also, you know, I mean, that's that's Mike Leach, right? You know, for better or worse. Yeah, and there's the possibility that it's just not just like when Grinch took over after Bresky, uh, it it may just be in a position where it's not a very attractive job again. Yeah, um, it obviously was after Grinch left. Um, that's how they pulled in Clay's, but it, obviously Clay's was in a position where he would, was looking for a sort of second chance type yeah. situation. But um, him leaving the way he did and the, how the defense tanked this year uh, probably doesn't uh, make the job all that appealing. Um, so it and, and I don't know, like it it seems like everyone needs a damn defensive coordinator this year, and so uh, even some of the names that float out, you know, like Jim Levitt or, right. or whoever. It's like, yeah, we had no shot at him given the other position. I mean, USC is looking for a defensive coordinator. So uh, if there's someone that wants to live on the West Coast and and wants to coach defense, they're probably not going to want to come to WSU over USC. Probably not. So um, probably going to be probably going to be some rando. uh, Somebody we've never heard of position position coach at at Missouri again. I think the only thing that would disappoint me would be if uh, if they elevated somebody off the current staff permanently so if it was bell and tony or mcbath or whatever um i think that that would disappoint me anybody else i'll probably go yeah okay yeah. you know like well, I, I mean at this tony point in particular because he kind of has a proven track record of not being a very good yes, coordinator yes. so it's it, it that would Correct. be like yeah disappointing like just because yep. it's like yeah maybe he's gotten better and but he's had quite a few years of being a defensive coordinator where he just didn't have good defenses so right yeah, I mean, is he really the guy that's going to and in half a season did not particularly distinguish himself 
you know, and look, I don't know enough about defensive schemes or anything like that to say definitively, you know, whether what he did was good or bad, but it like, I do, I didn't walk away from it going, wow, like that was okay. All right. Yeah. All right. You know, like there was none of that, you know, you just like, there were times where they ticked up a little bit and there were times where they were just as bad as they always were. And that's not necessarily his fault. It's just to say, I didn't see anything that made me think, yeah, this guy, all right. You know, this guy might be, might be the difference maker, might be the guy we need to take us forward. You know, I didn't see anything that made me think that. And so I, you know, you almost as a fan, you almost would rather have the, the unknown thing that might be awesome, but also might be terrible versus the known thing that you figure is probably mediocre. Right. Right. You feel like you know enough that it's like you just, you know, the intrigue of something unknown is definitely, uh, is definitely more interesting than, you know, the mediocre thing that you do know. Right. Yep. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit worried because it would have been cool if they just landed someone awesome. Um, that was a known commodity and just was going to come in and fix everything. But um, I didn't really expect that to happen. But I, I hope that, uh, you know, given the timeline with Grinch, you would expect this to be wrapping up pretty damn soon. I'd hope so. And, you know, unless we're just uh, looking at hiring, you know, one of the one of the guys that are in the national championship game. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I, I heard Brett Venables likes uh, small towns. Yeah, Brett Venables, just get him. He, yeah. He's fine. I heard he, he likes small towns. He definitely doesn't want to move up to be a head coach ever. No, <laughs> he just he, no. he just he he wants to come be hey, the the probably the Listen. closest thing to being a head coach is being the d- defensive coach at WSU. That's where right. The head coach doesn't even bother you. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't even doesn't, talk to you about defense. <laughs> unless you're really screwing up, which Tracy Clays found out. Like once you start really screwing up, then, yeah. then the coach comes in and has some work. But, hey, you know what? You want to be a head coach, coach with Mike Leach. Like that's, I mean, look at Lincoln Riley, right? You know, like. There you go. See, Get you can be the next pipeline. Lincoln Riley. Get out of that Dabo pipeline. That's Come on right. into the Leach pipeline. Dabo. Whatever. Psh. Yeah. What's that guy ever done? I don't know. I don't know. Not a thing. Not a thing. Wow. Just to give him some bulletin board material because he's always <laughs> looking for. Uh, yeah, neither one of us is knowledgeable enough to come up with any real names, so we just you know throw out garbage and laugh Brett about Venables. It. Brett Venables, that's her name. Let's do You'll it. Get him. Let's make it he happen. Probably, he he's probably, probably ready for a change. Quite a probably makes quite a lot. Of, um, I'm just gonna look up Brett Venable's salary. Yeah, right I mean, what's the exchange? The what's the exchange rate from Clemson, South Carolina to Pullman? I'll bet. I'll bet he could take a pay cut and still be making more money. Brett Venable's. Uh, I'll bet he's making a, like a million and a half. Uh, he's on a five-year, eleven point six million dollar contract. <sighs> I wasn't even close. He has a base salary close. of two million. He's got a base oh salary God. of two million with incentives. Okay, so he can earn up to eleven point six million. His base yeah. salary is two million. Holy shit. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Like, I had no idea it was that much. Like, I oh, assumed man. it was well north of a million. He has paid more than most Division One head coaches. Yes, he is. Division One FBS head coaches. Yes, he is. Yeah. Obviously, FCS. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's wild. That is wild. Uh, so, yes, yeah, we got him with the Pullman Exchange. That's rate. it. That's it. 
with versus the you know the very expensive was it columbia <laughs> or no that's that uh, it's clemson Never yeah mind. they're it's actually clemson. in clemson yeah very expensive uh yeah. s- rural south carolina yeah yeah known I'm for sure. that i'm sure what else i don't know you want to tell a funny b story uh no i don't really have one <laughs> yeah you do she I was, do? Yeah, the Moana story. You tweeted Why? about the Moana story where she was like singing, you know, what can I say oh, except you're welcome? Okay, so, okay, so. Yeah, like I was dying. I'm like looking at this tweet and I'm, I'm laughing gonna, I'm gonna so to, hard. I'm going to try to play the clip up against the mic. Okay. Um, see if it that works. I got to find it. All right. Wait. Okay, why is it autoplay? No one wants that. Let me turn it up. Let me go back. This is great radio. All right. It's not playing. Oh, oh it's it's auto. Here is it go. playing in your headphones? What can I say except? I What have you done to your daughter, Craig? Okay, so in Moana, <laughs> there's the famous... The, your you know, fatalistic two-year-old. There's there's the, you know, your welcome song. Right. Sung by The Rock, Maui. Right. And then, but later in the movie, uh, spoilers, they, they, they're they Moana and Maui in trouble. together yep. on a raft and, raft and they're, they're, they're in trouble and Maui's spirits are down. And he and he makes a play on his his titular song and says, "What can I say except we're dead soon?" And so instead of "What can I say except you're welcome," which is the lines of the actual song, B has now chosen that to say, "What can I say except we're dead soon?" <laughs> oh, she latched on to that part. And if you look, if you go on my I Twitter. Love it. At the Craig Powers, I have the video on there. Yeah. And she it says, "We're dead soon," with this big smile on her face. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, your daughter is set to be a philosopher, is what it is. She's gonna <laughs> she's gonna go to Wazoo for that philosophy degree. Yeah, she's just like, she'd be like, "What is matter? Life? We're dead soon. We're all gonna die anyway. What's it matter?" <laughs> Thanks, Maui of Moana and the movie. Uh, That's perfect. I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, man. All right. Anything else? I'm good. Uh, I I was drinking a kind of a cool beer tonight. uh, Yeah? It was was from – it's from Off Color Brewing in Chicago. Uh, It's it's a wild ale, which is made with uh, yeast off-colors – uh, yeast strain, and then they use uh, yeast from four other breweries, Central State, which is a brewery in Indiana that I visited, If for those of you who listened when I went to Indiana in June. Um, and then Jester King, uh, which is in Texas, uh, oh, Side yeah. Project in Missouri, and Allagash in Maine. So I've actually been to th- three of those four breweries. Um, but uh, um, So those are all very good wild ale uh, producing breweries um and then they so they basically used they each contributed some yeast and they threw them all into the barrel together and it's just kind of this golden um you know what american wild ale really it was really nice really uh little tart 
uh, very balanced, uh, easy drinking, 6% went down smooth, uh, very good stuff. Um, and kind of cool how they brought in like yeasts from, uh, as apparently this is volume two, they've done it before with different, I'm assuming different breweries. So kind of cool to bring some of the best breweries in the country all together. Yeah. Um, and just to pitch some yeast. Beautiful. Beautiful. I had a Meowza from Georgetown. Yeah, I also double, had double IPA action. I, I also had a um, Kirkland Signature Sparkling Water Grapefruit, Ooh. Ooh. which, which if you're if you're drinking the Lacroix, that's the Pamplemousse version, um, which sounds way cooler. So, but Kirkland Signature just calls it grapefruit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <sighs> refreshing. Uh, refreshing. Yeah, very refreshing. That was my side beer today. It was a sparkling water. Yeah, good work. I'm so sober right now. Oh, Mm. and also a funny thing about this beer. The bottle is 250 milliliters. Ooh. Which is eight, roughly eight and a half ounces. Mm. So it's a very tiny, cute bottle. It's got (laughs) off-color likes their branding with little mouse. So it's got these cute little mice on it. And they're reading a book called Untamed Geese. Ooh. And then by a fireplace with all the uh, logs that say the different breweries on them and it's a pretty cool little bottle and it was very small and uh yeah well that's just adorable. So i stayed sober on this podcast that is just adorable all right okay yeah. all right uh subscribe if, rate subscribe us, all that good stuff rate us five stars you can follow jeff on twitter at pod versus everyone you can follow me on twitter at the craig powers and you can see pictures or videos of my daughter and her nihilistic, pessimistic, <laughs> fatalistic <laughs> tendencies. Um, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And also pictures of my beer. So. Yeah. Very fun stuff. Yeah. You can decide which one of those two things is more interesting. It kind of <laughs> depends on your perspective, I suppose. All right. All right. Go Cougs, Craig. Go Cougs.